at the start of this week, I was, so actually like last week, <laughs> I started a new article for LinkedIn or actually like just for my personal brand. So wherever it lives, it doesn't really matter. Um, I started an article on this YouTube channel called Bon Appetit. It's owned by Conness and it's actually um, based on a magazine, like a cooking recipe magazine back from the 1950s that like still lives through today. And they're actually like pretty famous or I actually um, noticed them and they have a huge online presence on YouTube, producing cool YouTube videos. Um, basically like they're really personality driven and that, that was really interesting to to like sort of notice this channel myself and like sort of discover it and then um, watch a bunch of videos um, and seeing also like the culture around the channel that people have with the certain characters in this YouTube channel. And I wanted to do this article because I just felt like I wanted to like understand and also tell people after I understood it um, how this channel makes so many views. Um, and also like generate so many people that are emotionally um, driven and connected to these characters that they build up in these YouTube videos. So maybe like first, so that's basically Bon Appetit. Um, they're, they have now this huge brand um, which lives in the online space, but they still have like the physical magazine that they bring out, I think like six times a year or something. So it's not like a weekly, monthly thing. Um, but it's still like something that they do. Um, I think pretty based on tradition and also like it's a revenue driver, of course. Um, still, you wouldn't think that. Sometimes people forget that print is still a thing and also like newspapers and stuff, but it's still a huge thing. Like just because we use the internet a lot doesn't mean that print or like the offline space is completely dead. That's not the case at all. Um, so going back to like, I wanted to cover this YouTube channel or like talk about this YouTube channel and what they went through to get to this point because there were a bunch of things that I felt like could be interesting to people that look into content creation because actually the way that they started off back in the day I think it was like 2016 or something what we got right now to 2019 I think it was back in 2015-16 um where Adam Rappaport, the actual um, chief editor of the Bon Appetit magazine, uh, came in in 2012 around that. Don't please don't mark me on this number. And uh, you can look it up on the internet if it's that important to you. He was brought in back then to re re ramp the whole brand of like Bon Appetit and make it more than a magazine. Also transport it or translate it into the online space and making sure that social media is a huge thing for them in the future. Um, and really refreshing the whole brand and not only the magazine, uh, obviously that as well, but making it more of a broader brand than just being it this one magazine. And basically like the way that they started off back in the day, they had like Facebook and YouTube. And I think like at around that time where he was brought in, um, Facebook was really huge. It was like the number one thing, um, like Instagram is right now. And back then they had a huge focus on Facebook. So they were doing like these, I don't know what they did actually, never looked that up, um, but they were doing Facebook. They had a huge focus on Facebook. And then they went over to YouTube and they did it like sort of like a side thing. It was always looked at um, at that time because Facebook was just like where all the focus was set. And what basically like everyone as well in the social media space was talking about like Facebook, 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 like everyone is talking about TikTok right now, but Instagram still being like this big thing right now, basically that was back in the day when he was brought in, it was Facebook. 
and they didn't really had a huge focus on YouTube. And they were actually basically like doing these overhead, like so basically like the camera is on the ceiling and it looks down and you just see the hands, you see no characters, no people. And it's basically just only based on the recipes. The only thing that you want to transport is here really educational. So you're sharing information and knowledge through those videos, which are basically like recipes, how to cook something. And that's was basically what they were doing back then. And obviously it didn't really get much traction. They, they had really great production quality that that wasn't a problem but it was just like it was like was what everyone was doing and at that time they had this guy in the test kitchen so they're basically like i think in order to create recipes you need to like test new recipes and that's why they uh, back then created the test kitchen or why bon appetit has a test kitchen and it's basically like where all the chefs um test the recipes that they will put in the magazine um, and that's basically like this huge kitchen where like pff, you, you got you got everything and there's like 10 people in there that like simultaneously um, try, trying testing new recipes developing new recipes that also takes time um, and this guy Brad was brought in as an intern and he was just like sort of like helping I think he was basically like cleaning it um, bringing the trash away and stuff like that so he was basically like an intern and he was doing some stuff on the side, so they probably have to be, or still are probably, um, and back then as well, are super, like, easy at the office, like, you can do, you could test out stuff if you're an intern, for example. So he was actually able to ferment um, back then, and then they just felt like, okay, so we we know that this guy, Brad, he's cool, and they actually, I think he was... Um, at that time, he wasn't even an intern anymore. They had him on the team. Um, and he was, like, fermenting stuff. And they definitely knew, like, based from his, like, personality that they want to do something with him. They didn't really know what to do with him. But they felt like, okay, this is a great character and we have to do something with him. And basically what they did for the first time is a super, like, how it's, like, basically maybe normal to me now. But I think don't think that it's in general normal right now and what they basically did he was showing the audience they were basically like filming a video really documentary style so you see the actual character the person the chef that is cooking uh, the recipe and you see his personality so they went basically for the first time instead of like doing like the super bland and quote-unquote boring things that like everybody else was doing that was in the recipe cooking space um instead of like doing these overhead videos where you just see the hands and like how you cook the fucking food they were showing the whole process of how it is to cook food um and they basically tried something out for the first time and it sparked off brad having such a great personality that they wanted to try something with so they basically tried out this documentary style and personality driven style for the first time and they also mentioned this on a podcast that it was sort of like crazy to test it out and also hard to like the decision makers like um actually like make them <laughs> excited for this and make sure that they actually let them publish this episode so they actually I, I think at the end of the day had like 10 hours of footage and the editor had to cut that down to 10 minutes because back then those videos that everyone was doing they were only like five to maybe nine ten minutes long um and he basically had 10 hours of footage and somehow he cut that down to 10 minutes which is like <laughs> first of all huge work and 
pretty astonishing to be able to get something from 10 hours to 10 minutes. Um, but that's basically what they did back then. And what it meant for them is that they had to try out something for the first time. And they actually went for it and they published this first episode. And it was totally different. And because it was so different, it actually completely popped off. It went through the roof. Um, it got way more traction than all the other cooking videos. And for that reason, they did it again. And they did it a couple times. And it was sort of like this new thing that everyone was excited about and didn't really know how to feel about it other than like just knowing that it works. And that's like literally what I'm always talking about when it comes to content you should do what works and what the people want to see and at that time they were like really guided by themselves like editorial they wanted to make sure that the brand is like um safe and stuff and that's why they were doing like these bland tutorials that everyone was doing and that's also why it didn't really pop off and when they were testing something and doing something different for the first time it literally went through the roof and you have to take into account that that doesn't happen every time you try something out but the chances of it happening actually increase like tremendously and that's the reason why you need to test out stuff when it comes to content production and see like what people want to see um and what happened now is they had like a bunch of episodes of i think i think it was based off four to five episodes they published four to five episodes at this point they were just be pretty much like surprised by the views and they basically saw an opportunity in that. And that's when they started to introduce a more personality-driven as well as a documentary style into the YouTube channel and actually showed the, first, the faces for the first time. And now really comes the interesting part, which is the actual uh, stuff that happens in the editing room. So let's say you cook this recipe. I don't know, let's say like a cake and someone drops an egg. Uh, in the old videos, they will cut that out. In the new videos, the editor would let this piece in where you see the chef that drops the egg um, and says fuck or something. And then another chef comes from the background and says, oh, what, what did you do here? And usually you would cut that out because you would think like, who the fuck cares about that? Um, we need to save their time and they're really only here for the recipe. But what actually turned out that they're not really there for the recipe, and maybe part of that is for the recipe, but they're also there for the actual experience of cooking. Because when you actually think about it, cooking is not, um, every, not, not everything is perfect. And cooking is really all about this process of like developing something and making mistakes and correcting them or like finding a way around it and not everything goes right always and not everything is wiped clean by people like the food editors there, there were in this old videos they had like in this old recipe videos um they had food editors which would actually like swipe literally like every little spill away and that's just not what cooking is and that's basically what they also talked on this episode on their podcast where they was sharing this experience of like going from bland tutorials to more personality driven episodes which is like, that's not what people want to see. People want to see authenticity and just want to relate to these people because when they were like watching the videos and trying to cook it themselves, it was just like a completely different thing. And so getting closer to the people and making sure that you're um, like, that it looks like you're closer to them was something that I found out to be really um, like valuable and just really successful. 
So that's basically what they did. Over time, they went from doing the faces in the recipes, and now it's really a lot of the content that they post is personality-driven, and it also increased heavily in terms of length. So now episodes range from 20 to 30 to even like 50 minutes. So it's like we went into the long form, what YouTube is basically all about when you think about like how the platform works. Um, so that was sort of interesting to see that change from like super bland tutorials. And now you have to think like, Whenever you create content, you want to think like, who do I want to attract and why am I doing this? You want to have some sort of ambition behind it, some sort of objective. And the objective back then was to really refresh the brand. That's what basically Adam did a great job at, <laughs> looking at it in 2019, at the end of 2019, um, looking at where the brand actually is at right now, seeing just that it was super successful, like his task that he was set up to do. Um, and just seeing like how it translated into so many other different things. Because usually you would say we want to create content and we do these recipes because we want to um, make sure that people, for example, want to have the actual exact measurements and for that they would buy a magazine. That's sort of like how they thought about it probably in the beginning and why they did like these bland recipe tutorials. Um, and now you would ask yourself like, okay, so the that's that's always what you need to look at when it comes to creating content and like also testing new stuff and um deciding what to post and what to create you always have to look at like what's the ambition behind and what's the objective and if the objective is to sell more magazines you could say now like what's the point in having more views on this video um that is really all about like personality driven because they want to watch this certain person that is cooking um this food right now so over time um you would think like okay so we have all these people coming in and maybe they're like younger people that don't really want to cook at all um that don't know how to cook they don't want how cook want to cook they just want to be um entertained by these funny characters and funny situations and stuff um and that's basically just where the opportunity in other revenue streams lies in. Because what they, for example, sell now is they do product placements, they can sell their characters or show new shows that they produce to streaming services. Um, so getting those rights and selling those rights. Um, and also they what they do now is they host events with the actual people. So you could say they're sort of like... I, I, I always call them or um, reference them as characters, but you could also call them influencers if you would want to um, at this point. So they're sort of like um, corporate influence. No, that's totally the wrong statement. Um, they're influencers that are owned sort of by the brand or like in the space of one brand. So th what they're basically doing is like they're um, driving revenue of those events where they um, invite people. It's a pretty high ticket. So I think it was, I saw it around 90 bucks or something to go to an event where like you're with the chefs from the show and then you... And you can meet them or something and they show you recipes and they talk about why they love cooking and something like that, just like events. And back then you could say like, okay, why are you doing personality driven videos like that? That doesn't really achieve our goal of um, increasing the magazine readers or actually like subscribers, obviously. Um, but what happened like is they opened up themselves to so many more opportunities to drive more revenue and actually like creating this brand that is just lives in so many different areas, especially in the social media world. Um, and that's basically where they're at right now. And it's just so cool to see someone succeeding with 
just like doing something new. And it's pretty like this bland thing if you would ask someone like, I want to create content, like what would you do? Be as authentic as possible, be as authentic as possible. But I think this is a real cool example to actually know what someone says when they talk about like being authentic. Um, and what you also have to take from this is it was a journey. It wasn't like a thing where they were sitting there and from day one, they had the best content ever, like it was the best thing, no. They had like five years or like, I don't know, four years of like doing bland tutorials, people like 10,000 people were seeing the fucking videos. Um, and that's really interesting to see over time that increase and just seeing how, how they were able to capitalize off of that. And that just, again, is like the question of like, do, do I want to do short term sales um, and do super like narrow and niche content? Or do I just want to create a huge brand and because it just has so much popularity at this point that you can just drive off it so many different revenue revenue strings instead of like only selling the magazine. I mean, at this point, there are people that are like the biggest fans of this um, YouTube channel that don't even know that it's actually a magazine owned by Connest. So that's sort of crazy um, if you think about it. But on the other hand, it's just like the way that it is. Um, and that that's just a really interesting YouTube channel to look at and also like story of a creating a brand and like how it all went down. Um, and I actually wrote an article about this. Um, it's not 100% finished, but I will finish it this week, hope, hopefully, um, and put it out. And there's a bunch of other points that I haven't touched on in this podcast right here that you should definitely check out. Um, I just think that it's a really cool case study to showcase like how to do content creation if you really want to become huge. So we're like in the last section, which is what's coming up this week. Um, I don't really have planned that much. My mom is in town this week, so it's probably going to be a lot of leisure time with um, like spending time with her and just doing a bunch of fun things and not really working that much. Um, I do want to work a little bit um, from time to time this week. Um, for example, like posting the how to do a podcast video, which I recorded last week. I want to edit that finally. Um, and that's pretty much everything that I really want to do majorly this week. I obviously would love to finish the website finally and put out the video. That would be really dope. Um, but I don't really have that many expectations for this week because just my mom is in town. And that's really like the primary focus right here. Um, and visiting family in Munich again on the weekend. That was just like the the primary thing that I want to focus on this week. Um, I actually did a photo shoot last week as well um, which sort of like was super funny to me because I just know now more about color and also like composing and I was kind of hooked on that so maybe I will do a second photo shoot with them again it's like sort of like this new uh, clothing line one of the 10,000s ones and that's basically what's coming up this week not really too exciting um, in terms of like what work is going to be and get done, but just my mom's in town. That's like the primary focus that I have for this week. So thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm pretty much, again, super sorry to um, drop this like later on this Monday today, but I just felt like, and now that I've finished the episode, I just felt like it was such a great decision to go that route and re-record the whole episode because that was just all over the place yesterday and not really pleasant to listen and I also wanted to read those two super cool topics 
wanted to make sure that I can express myself fully, which I super wasn't able to yesterday. So thanks for listening to this episode and see you in the next week of this podcast. Bye. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast. Today I have two major topics for you. The first one being my story of the first time being at an auction house and like seeing all these dynamics of people that buy there and their emotions that go down. And the second topic is really major for people that are interested in content creation. It's the story and like the whole background around content creation about this YouTube channel called Bon Appetit. It's actually a magazine by Con Nast and I talk about how they changed over time in terms of content production from really super bland recipe tutorials to more personality driven content and basically how they grew their channel to I think at this point 5 million subscribers and I think it's around like 800,000 active users. So let's jump right into this week's episode of the podcast. So it's a Monday and actually I tried to record this episode right here already yesterday, but yesterday I was going to Munich in the morning and I had to be there at a certain time. So I was trying to rush the whole podcast and I felt like I really wanted to cover those two like major topics I wanted to talk about in this episode, like basically what happened last week. And that's the reason why I felt like, okay, you know what? I'm going to re-record this podcast on Monday. Um, it, it wasn't really a good thing. And at the end of like <laughs> the time that I had to record this episode, I wasn't really, I wasn't really feeling it. And I didn't even had time to record a, a finish point. So that's the reason why I want to re-record this podcast episode and also why I'm doing this on a Monday. It's like actually the first time that I'm breaking this, um, like doing it every weekend, breaking this recording on Sunday, but you know, whatever. I really felt like I wanted to bring you something cool here and I thought these are like cool topics to talk about and that's the reason why I actually wanted to re-record this today. So the first topic that you probably already seen the title is my first time at an auction house and like seeing the whole dynamics and all that. I wanted to talk on this story because I felt like it was really interesting for me to be there for the first time and I wanted to share my thoughts and like basically tell you the whole story and how it went down. So first of all, the reason why I went to an auction this Saturday, so past Saturday, with my grandma actually is because my uncle wanted to get something and in the past, my grandpa that just passed away like around one and a half months actually always went there into this particular um, auction house and that was sort of like their tradition to always go there and it was sort of like a thing where you just go because it's just so much fun for them. So it was always really directed by my grandpa which like really liked being there and like um, bidding something and like actually getting it in the in the back end like that was always really interesting for him he was always like he was a good salesman entrepreneur and that's why at an auction house it was sort of like an interesting um, situation for him to like be the winner in like and competition basically so it was basically more like a tradition for them and just something that like people at a certain standard go to and since he passed away now about one and a half months ago, I wanted to join my grandma so that she doesn't have to go alone. And the reason for that is also uh, because I've never actually been to an auction house 
other than like when, when I was maybe like two to three years old, so nothing really special to remember there actually, and that, so it was basically my first time. So we went there um, pretty early, we had to pick up the number that you raise when you want to bid on something, um, on a certain piece, and so we were there really early, I think we went there at 12, and the actual thing went until I think it was 6 p.m. So it was six hours. This whole auction took six hours. And it's a really long time frame. I don't think that it's super usual to have an auction like in that big of a length, like six hours is I, I think pretty intense. But I think it's really different from every auction house. Like they always handle it different. I, I think that it's like that. Um, maybe they're all like super long and you just wait for the ones that you you know, that you want for the pieces. Um, and they had actually like huge volume and not really that high priced pieces, but that was just the way that it is in this auction house. So we basically went there, um, went there early. So we were actually sitting like in the VIP seats in the first row. Um, so we really like noticed like every single thing that went down and happened down there. And that's something like basically that, that was my objection. Uh, that was my objective when I went there to basically understand what's going on, see the dynamics and what's, what's happening here. Like why are people going here? Um, so basically was like this big, huge hall. It's like a dance hall, a pretty old dance hall. Um, I love how, how it looks. Like it's this really old building, old dance hall, as I mentioned. It has these balconies inside the actual um, hall or big ass room, you can also call it. Um, and I just think like if that would be an office, that would be so fucking amazing. So you have like this big open room. And then on the balcony, you could could have like the CEO's um, desk or something. That would be fucking sick. So <laughs> that's just a side note right there. This this building is absolutely insane. We went there, sat in the first front row, and they basically had the people that. So they basically were like putting in a online auction or bringing the actual auction into the online space and onto the website. So people were able to be like locally there, uh, right in front of the auction um, on the internet. And also, which I've seen before, I think in movies or something or on the TV, um, people on the phone. And actually something that I, that just came to my mind is I always thought that <laughs> these bidders that are on the phone I thought that they were sending the people that are like calling them and telling them the numbers like and how the price is at, where, where the price is at right now. I thought that the, the like these old rich guys were sending extra people like it's basically like their people, like some assistant or like someone like a broker or something. I don't know. I thought these were people sent by the bidders, but it actually turned out that it's only the staff from the auction house, which was kind of boring actually, um, because I always thought that like from movies or I think TV or wherever I've seen that before. I always thought that those were people that were sent by the actual bidders, but it actually turned out that it's only the stuff. Maybe it's um, also like something just different in this uh, certain auction house and it's different in others, but that's just like how it was there. And that was sort of like <laughs> um, something where just, okay, oh, it, they're only staff. Okay. But so it basically started like they they still had like these little hammers where they like knock on the wood when someone gets like when someone wins the uh, bid and that was sort of interesting to see like that they still do that like as a tradition and also like the way they talk um and switch back and forth 
Um, and it was also sort of interesting to see how they treat the online versus offline auction. And they really prioritize the offline. So like local uh, right in front there, the auction and basically the way that they transported it over into the online space was they had a person sitting on a computer. They have like some sort of like auction program probably. I guess that it was something like that, like an actual program where they pretty much click the price that is bid in the actual um, building and then they can like the people that are like in the auction online they can bid with the actual um, current piece but it's actually really like slow and really behind so when when basically like when we're like when the offline auction was at 50 pretty much most of the time the online auction was at 35 or something so that was sort of like interesting to see how they were really like behind with the online auction really not paying that much attention to it um even though i think like why would you do it like why wouldn't you pay attention to it and remake it like um the exact same time but they were just not really paying that much attention to it which was sort of interesting as well as the people that were on the phone so the staff that was like calling with some sort of people that were interested some bidders that was sort of interesting to see how they were kind of like hiding around the corner and i thought that they would um present the people that are calling on the phone like way more to the people that are actually like the actual bidders in the room like the crowd i thought that they would present the callers like way much more to the people like the crowd because i just felt like you want to create urgency like that's what an auction for me or at least what i how i would think about it would be about is like actually creating urgency and wanting people to join the actual like piece that's being bidded at right now and i just felt like like why would you hide around the corner like and sort of like speak like really really um with a really super soft and low voice on the phone like why wouldn't you like scream or like speak in a loud tone so that people feel like urgent and feel like okay shit like you know this piece is the certain piece is like actually um sort of valuable um, but i just felt like it's probably just the way that this house does it i i think like every single auction house does it different and maybe if it's like really way much higher price because we were talking in like they had like as i mentioned before they had like really big volumes so they had like so many low priced pieces ranging from 20 to 50 bucks and then they had some pieces in between that that were ranging anywhere from 100 to 300 to 1400 to i think the highest thing was 2000 so not really that like high priced but still interesting just to see the dynamics and what's going on in there and what was actually super interesting to me is just the way that people reacted to certain pieces which they didn't care about at all and that's probably just based because they have the knowledge of like how much this piece is worth right now and how much its value will increase over time and that's probably just because of that and also just seeing like the dynamic of people and like the emotions of people when like you know most of the time they had like these pieces that were like sort of in the 300 to 600 range and they had like two bidders and they were basically like both um keeping their numbers in the air and like the the actual person that was like holding the actual auction was going back back and forth back and forth between the two persons and 
basically they were not staring at each other they were, were like slowly um looking away and acting like they wouldn't see the other person and basically like hating the other person because they want the shit and it's basically like this competition thing of like who gives up first um and who wins this fucking thing and who just doesn't care about the money and it's always like when someone um put down their hand and the other person got it there were always it, it, you could see it in their eyes that they had this like fuck you moment where it was just like so happy that they got this piece and i felt like it wasn't even that much about the piece that it was more about the actual like winning of this certain um art piece that you just got and that was just sort of interesting to see like as well as people like getting so many things that I'm just like wondering like where are you going to put all this stuff like do you keep it in the basement and like sell it in 10 years when its value increased like I don't know but it was just awkward to me and especially because we were bidding for my uncle which goes to a lot of auction buys a lot of stuff like antique things and pieces online and we were like in the last couple of weeks helping him move around all of his stuff uh, from one house to another that was sort of interesting to see how they how we were actually moving around pieces where you would like be at an auction and be like oh dang i really want this and you're gonna spend like 1k on that and then like <laughs> after two years or something you just have so many pieces that you can't even hang like your walls with it or otherwise it would just like explode um and sort of like moving that around and like it being in the basement and like not being looked at at all where it just like is it really about the actual art piece or is it just about like the sport of going there and like the excitement of like i got this piece and i own this piece and like just getting that short-term value of like these emotions that you get when you win an auction that was sort of interesting actually and <laughs> on actual Saturday um, evening I was watching The Wolf of Wall Street and that was also sort of interesting um, to hear like how they were talking about like that these guys that are um, bidding on Wall Street are just like super fucking addicted and it's not about like um, increasing your wealth it's way more about like being addicted and getting like that short-term high of like oh the stock prices increased and now you get like now you're in the plus and then you're back in the minus and now you're well on now you move over this so basically like talking about that they're fucking addicted and i was like that's literally the exact words that they were using in wolf of wall street which is by the way such a great movie and i didn't finish it on this evening because i didn't have so much time um but like just watching like those like basically the beginning like the first half hour was sort of interesting to see like that connection between like people that are addicted on wall street and people that are addicted on like these auctions where they're basically like buying so much shit that they can't even handle it at their like <laughs> at their different houses or wherever and they don't even know where to put it and at the end of the day i was just saying they're like you know that it's basically a canvas with a bunch of with a bunch of colors on it and yeah sure they have these artists and they have they build up this brand like their own brand as an artist over time which was sort of like bizarre to see like the value increase um and of a certain piece that was worth 50 dollars and going up to like 600 just because these people in there really want it or like want to fuck the other person basically and I was just sort of like debating in my mind, like, doesn't it make way more sense to have less volume, therefore more high value pre pieces, and then more people that are actually interested in the current piece and not everyone waiting for a certain piece like piece number 600, number 975. Like, just thinking like, would it make way more sense to create way more urgency through like, for example, like showcasing the, um, 
people or debaters on the telephone more and like scream more and having like way more hectic than to be a sort of like a slow thing and quiet thing and more people actually interested in the actual art pieces instead of like only having two to three maybe having 10 to 20 which would highly increase the value i would consider but it's probably just the way that it was at this auction house that we went to and probably have to go in some like maybe london or new york that would be probably also interesting to see just how it's different there and how the dynamics are different there but all in all really great experience that i went my grandma was also happy that i went with her we were there actually around five hours so it was a pretty like intense thing but it was a great experience and just seeing people there like getting rid of their money total different perspective of how i'm at right now sort of interesting to see like how people spend their money there